Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that places a premium on keeping expectations low. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page from strawman.com. Mr. Page, good day. How are you? Mate, I'm exceptionally well. Uh, oh, can I tell you, it's freezing at my place just quietly. It you is, are in it a is, t-shirt, by the way. Mate, just well, for, yeah. You, what you can't see is the aircon on behind me. But outside, okay. <laughs> it was uh, four degrees this morning. And with a wind chill, felt like minus 1.2. It was uh, it was a cold cold way to take the dog out to the toilet. Put it that way. It was uh, yes freezing, yeah. but it is the sky, the sun is out, so it's kind of a beautiful winter's day, which is probably what we should expect. How about you, good self? Yeah, uh, yeah, also cold. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. No, Otherwise, no complaints. Good. Yeah, very good, very good, mate. Um, how's Strawman going? It's going okay. Yeah, we. Um, we only only accept new members twice a year, so in okay. between, it's just trying to sort of um, make sure we deliver value. And so, Lovely. yeah, we've uh, keeping the dream alive. I was saying to you before off air, we've we've just lined up a, a talk with Matt Barry, the CEO of Freelancer, who's a very very interesting uh, character. <laughs> How much are you set aside for that? Uh, as much as he wants, as much as he wants. <laughs> for those, if you haven't seen it, I just go, uh, YouTube oh. uh, Sydney um, SMH twenty fifty conference. He gave the keynote okay. address, and it's right. it, he 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 just you know it's a blistering uh, uh, attack on, <laughs> on on particularly Sydney and and housing and a lot of it. It's, it's it, whether whatever your opinion is, I think I think it, you'll uh, you'll get a reaction. Um, yes, uh, Matt Barry. If nothing else, Matt Barry provokes reactions. That that much is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mate, speaking of which, so what? Is, what is Strongman.com? It's a private online investment club. Is it really? It there is. It is. There you um, go. As I said, one, one of the top two finance-related websites in the country. Of course, that's right. The Motley Fool at fool.com.au. Have to put a plug in for my own business, otherwise the boss asks me what I'm doing. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I, I'm actually not convinced the boss listens, but that's okay. Uh, in fact, it probably, it's probably almost certain because otherwise I probably still wouldn't be doing the podcast. So there you go. Can I add him if you're listening? Um, wait, uh, let's, let's get into the news of the week. I am going to make something of a large-ish call. I reckon this is going to be one of the more... Uh, what's the right word? Impactful? Uh, symbolic? important weeks of 2023 mm, there's been it? a lot going on locally and overseas let's start with the biggest of the big macros mate which is wall street or in particular the u.s federal reserve which for the first time in over a year on thursday morning our time left interest rates on hold at between five and five and a quarter they have this range rather than a rather specific number between five and five and a quarter percent is their interest rate has been obviously last month for the first time in more than a year kept rates on hold at the same time jerome powell saying but there's going to be more and things are going through the economy is too strong and it was almost like a clayton's pause and i i kind of <laughs> I, I, i've i've thought this about the rba as well i have a feeling that in their in their kind of bureaucratic minds in their kind of you know econometric views of the world you do something at half a percent for a while then you go to a quarter of a percent and then you kind of go to a quarter percent every second month because that averages out to a little bit less. And if you're kind of drawing this, you know, mathematicians and economists like graphs and curves and relationships and stuff. If you kind of draw that out, it just feels to me this is their version of deceleration. Just, mm. just ever so bit by bit, every 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 second month, then it might be every third month, then all of a sudden they'll just stop dead and that'll be done. I, and I don't know if that's too simplistic or not, but it just strikes me that when you say on one hand, yeah, we're going to wait a little bit longer, see what's going on, but there'll be two more. 
Mm. I mean, plenty of people say, well, just do the two and get over and with then at least we can get on with it. Mm. My sense is they just believe that, A, there's, there's some sort of deceleration in the way they're doing it, the pattern of, of, inc- of increases, but also at some level at least, they believe that longevity matters, that the more, the longer this kind of impact lingers in people's minds, potential and real impact, the more likely it is to change behaviors rather than one and done. Then we go, oh, that hurts. Okay, let's go back to spending again. There's something I think, I'm speculating, I don't know, I have no basis for it other than my own speculation, but it just strikes me that seems to be the way they think about this kind of approach that you need to kind of draw it out to make sure it has a long enough impact over enough times so that we don't just snap back to higher inflation, uh, but also this deceleration trend. Does that, any of those ring true to you or am I completely off the tree? Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like trying to adjust the temperature in the shower, right? You sort of, yeah. you, you crank the hot water tap. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Actually. And then there's a series of adjustments, you know, as you sort of zero in on, on, that, on that lovely warmth. The perfect temperature. Um, but, you know, and there's a, and there's a lag, uh, yeah. you know, and, you and like all the of the rest of it, which is really hard. So it's, it's always like, you yeah. know, compared to like trying to turn the Titanic or, you know, a, yes, a, a massive, true. massive ship. It's just going to take a long time to do. That's true. Even if you're moving in the right direction. Um, I think the other thing that we've got to remember is that a very important tool of central banks generally mm-hmm. is what they call the jawbone. The jawbone, you know, yes. In other words... You know, he is using, he's employing mm-hmm. a tool by saying, okay, so the official decision was we're not raising rates. But he, but he essentially said, I think he yeah. almost specifically said, exactly. we're, we're going to increase it by another half, anyway. yeah. half a percent <laughs> yeah, right. before the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. And so what, I mean, that, so the markets, you, you would think on one hand, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, they've paused. Fantastic. Um, we're off to the races again. Mm. Uh, and if he had said we've paused and we'll just sort of see how it goes, but he didn't. He said we're pausing, but don't don't uh, don't get too excited. We're going to be doing more. We really said that like very yeah. very deliberately. And that's that's a that's a massively important tool because um, everything's set on on, on expectations. Mm. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll make a slightly perhaps controversial statement. I, I think the the impact of these uh, interest rates to the level of activity and lending aren't as direct or as important as a lot of us think. And if I, let, me, let, me, let me fill that in. <laughs> Where does the money come from? Mm. Not you know, in, in, in the real economy, it, it mm. comes from bank lending, right? So you can give, you can, the, the federal funds rate or the RBA official rate is the, is the amount that banks get or yes. pay for short-term overnight lane, lo- loans held at the Fed, so it's all. This is partly what. Central- or now cash to the RBA, yes. This is what RBA. It's what central banks are there for. Sort of this yep, lender correct. of last resort. It's sort of like you know, oh, I'm CBA. Don't have quite enough liquidity that I need for these current week's operations. I'm going to borrow it from Westpac that has a little bit more, or mm-hmm. I can I can borrow it direct in some in some cases from the central bank itself. That they're the interest rates that are actually being influenced here. Right. And the hope is the indirect transfer mechanism is it's just yeah. like well if I'm CBA I'm having to pay a little bit more for and I don't always need it by the way and on average mm-hmm. over time you, you would sort of say they don't if the if the entire system's sort of <laughs> liquid and solvent but but it's really about it makes it a little bit harder for me so I'm going to write less loans yes. and that's and, and and so when when a bank creates a loan 
He says, you go to the bank. So Mr. Bank Manager, can I, can I borrow a million dollars? Yes, here you go. A few strokes of the keyboard and a number appears there. Like that mm. money was literally just created at, on yeah. the balance, double entry accounting, right? So they've got now got an asset, uh, mm. which is the, you, the IOU that, that you owe them. Um, and you've got Probably cash. Probably back to the, with the house, but yes, exactly. That's right. Yep. That cash didn't exist before, right? I mean, yep. I'm, I'm not, not that controversial. It's just fractional reserve Correct. banking. It's sort of, it sort of how yep. it all works. Yep. So we actually saw this in, in previous, and actually lots of times throughout history where interest rates change, but the banks are still very nervous. I mean, look mm -hmm. at after 2008, the crisis there. So lots of liquidity pumped into the system. You know, banks recapitalized and the rest of it. We just never saw any inflation. It's because mm. the, the banks were much more prudent. They didn't actually create a lot of extra loans. The money all stayed within the financial system, which is why we perhaps had asset price inflation, which is a very, very, very different um, thing. So all of this is a uh, just coming back to this idea of the jawbone here. This is what Powell is trying to do. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's th things are a little bit too hot on the inflation front. It's still double what their target is, right? So it's come back a bit, but it's still it's still double, and he wants less money out there, and he's kind of signaling to the banks, well, we're going to charge you, or you're going to be charged more within the reserve system, mm -hmm. um, but you know we, we hope that you're a little bit more prudent on your lending as well, because that's ultimately what needs to happen. And I suspect, especially what's happened in the U.S. banking sector, that the banks are probably already doing that we're seeing i was just saying to you before was it citigroup's laying off a whole bunch of uh, uh expenses a lot of uh, uh, staff a lot of banks are sort of doing the same i think a lot of them sort of see the all the same headlines that we're seeing and, and are probably a little bit more restrained in their lending anyway so i think i think this is why you didn't see markets react that that significantly afterwards it's not as you might expect if this was a very genuine belief that that the worst is over mm. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's right. There was a small stutter in the market, ended up actually closing higher than before Powell made the announcement. Uh, as people try to read the tea leaves, it's also by sorry a slither, a slither higher. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those it's one of those things. I think that probably I, I would argue just take that to its nth degree or form, you know uh, probably reasonable conclusion, which is the market should just pull itself out and its head out of its backside and say actually it doesn't matter that much anyway. Because uh, the reality is, you know, whatever expectations you had, and this is what we'll get to our expectations in a minute, but it's not, it's not always, it, it, it's, a, it's a funny learning curve when you, when you think about the way markets operate, right? Because they never really respond to the news. They respond to the way the news is different to what they already expected the news would be, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Which is kind of, it is turtles all the way down to some degree. But if you expect the, the Fed to increase rates, you should have, in theory, already priced that into the price you're prepared to pay for your shares and the future you think those businesses have. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're a decent forward-thinking analyst, that's you've already done. So when the Fed says, yep, I'm going to do what you thought I was going to do, you go, okay, cool. Well, I've already allowed for that. So there's no mm. need to change. Yeah. And that can be in any direction, up, down, sideways. Again, we'll talk about expectation in a minute. But it's, it's important that we think about that because it's why I call earnings season expectation season, right? Because it's not really how well do the company do versus, or in, in absolute terms, or even versus last year, but versus what the market thought was going to happen. And then, to your point about what Powell then said was, it's not just about now, it's also about what are you expecting to do. Yeah, And this is the, frankly, stupidity of... Uh, every now and again, I, I jump on Twitter and I talk about the stupidity of trying to forecast stuff, right? And people whose jobs are to be professional forecasters always have a go at me. Um, I said, I've said many times, the RBA should stop giving interest rate forecasts. And people come back and say, well, what, what, what should we use to then work out what's going to happen? It's like, well, if you don't know and they don't know, what's the point of pretending that we both know so that we can put something in a spreadsheet? It's, 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 it's literally self-delusion. It's the emperor's no clothes, you know, not wearing any clothes problem. Mm. Um, and yet we just all kind of 
or not we, I don't, I don't think you do, the, the, the commentariat and the prognosticators kind of collude loosely and not actually formally collude, but just that idea of like, I'll make a prediction and you report the prediction, use that prediction for something else. When I change the prediction, I'll let you know. So people say, well, the ABA should tell us what they're planning to do. So, well, okay, as soon as they do, you've then factored that in. So the power of that next action is moot because you've already allowed for it. Mm-hmm. The, the very nature of uncertainty allows the RBA to have an impact. Yeah. If they said, over the next 24 months, here's what we're going to do, they might say, oh, good. We don't have to worry about it for 24 months then. Mm-hmm. In which case, it's already internalized all of those forecasts, all of those planned actions. And it's, it's just a completely useless process. And then, by the way, when they get it wrong, like Lowe did saying he didn't think there was going to be rate rises until 2024. It was, oh, you got it wrong. It's like, well, what, what, what did you people expect? I know you use the example of, you know, fool me nine times, ask me a tenth. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 just, it's just a crazy, crazy system. I think the idea of asking central bankers to forecast uh, and, and then trying to rely on those published forecasts. Again, you know, with the RBA board change, plenty of people said, oh, they should, they should have press conferences, explain themselves and tell us what they're going to do next. And, and as soon as you do that, it, it's, it's only the changes to expectations that the RBA has an impact by definition. Yep. That's the only way they can actually influence the market over and above what the market's already thinking because the market's already priced in its own thinking. So you can only change things on the margin where you are giving something different, normally, surprisingly, to what the market was expecting to have an impact, which is what you're trying to do to either stimulate or retard economic activity. And so it's kind of, it just, it, it just drives me bananas, mate. The lack of, I don't, I don't know if it's lack of, awareness i don't think it is i think it's just pure self-interest honestly and probably some degree of institutional capture where everyone thinks that's what they have to do and so if you're a professional economist then you do the thing because that's the thing you have to do it, it just you know when no one's asking the question no one's thinking the great uh, philosopher mike tyson was <laughs> once said noted philosopher yeah, yes. the noted philosopher said everyone's got a plan to get a punch in the face actually that was muhammad yeah. ali i was I, it I, I was one of the two. Oh, no, gosh. Tyson. It was Tyson. Was it Tyson? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great line, though, right? And and this is this is almost you know why it is it is um, reckless to some extent to say we're going to do this over the next two years or four years because mm-hmm. you you don't know what's going to unfold over that time. <laughs> so I actually I I take a slightly different view. I I'm given the importance of these. Uh, unelected officials <laughs> and the influence <laughs> that they have on all of us and the economy. I don't yeah. want a specific forecast from Lowe or right. the Fed chief. You know, what I want is a lot of clarity around how you think about these things, what yeah. you think are important. So I, I think I say the same of CEOs. I don't want a forecast for your earnings per share next year. Mm. What I want is this is our strategy. These are the things yeah. that are important yeah. to us. These are the things we're going to look for. 100%. Yep. That's that is much more of a realistic kind of stance, and we'll look. We'll operate within that framework uh, as according to the information that comes to light and as events unfold. And that's that, I think that yep. is the best that you you can kind of do. Correct. Um, Which is actually, by the way, what Lowe said. And this is the other thing: is he said exactly that. He said, mm. "We won't increase rates until wage pr- wages or prices go up." And we don't think that'll be until 2024. And of course, the media just takes the first two words and the last two words and says, "Low promise not to," and then everyone says. Really low promise. Low, bastard. He promised not to. It's like, no, I mean, it was never a promise. It was, never, it was an indication of a, a, a condition that would be met and a guess as to when that condition would be met. Now, he's horribly wrong with his guess as to when it would happen, which is almost to my point, though I know you disagree. Um, but but it was, it's also, you know, he did, he did exactly that. Here's, here's what I'm focused on. Here's when I'll move rates. Okay, cool. Thanks, Phil. Yeah. And then yeah, it just yeah. gets completely blown out of the, out of the water. Yep. Yep. It's all, it's all very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, mate, let's go to something else interesting because 
New Zealand. You told me just before we came on air, breaking news. Uh, won't be by the time this goes to, podcast goes to air, but uh, we're pre-recording this on Thursday morning, the 15th of June. Uh, New Zealand is in a... Uh, now, I'm not going to... All right. The, the, the headline is New Zealand is in a technical recession. Uh, one of my other bugbears, there's nothing technical about a recession. And there's no official definition of one that actually matters other than with words we choose to use to to uh, to apply to certain things, like a 10% fall in the share markets, a, a technical correction. Is it? Why is it technically a correction? Well, that's because we all agree that's what we'd call it. Uh, it's all a little bit silly. But to quote, the, the key thing here is the economy in New Zealand has shrunk. <laughs> I also love negative growth. Two quarters of negative growth. Don't you mean two quarters of contraction? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that. So it shrunk for two quarters in a row. It's uh, it's in what they believe, what we consider a recession. Yeah, um, doing doing it pretty tough over there. 0.1% um, in the most recent read down. For, yep. uh, that was uh, after a 0.7% contraction in the fourth quarter. So there you mm-hmm. go. There's the two quarters of negative growth. Yep. Um, overall on an annual basis, still going ahead, 2.2%. There's that. Um Oh, look, they, they had a few sort of issues there. Was, uh, I think it was a cyclone, um, it was teacher that. strikes, a few sort of, there's, there's mm. the thing, right? There's always, there's all, this is just the normal, you know, situation we sort of find And by the way, if it had been plus 0.01, it wouldn't have been a technical recession. It's minus 0.1. So those two numbers are largely yeah. indistinguishable, but we get to put the capital R word on the, on the front page of a newspaper and get lots of clicks on an article about New Zealand recession. Yeah. Recession I mean, if you're in New Zealand anyway. But they're, they're doing it tough. They, um, I think, yeah. uh, I'm not sure if this is Auckland or the country at large. Some Kiwi listeners can, can clue me in. Um, but it, uh, I believe the house prices are now down 20% there as well. Um, so it's That's sort huge. of- I had no idea when you told me that this morning. Yeah, yeah. No, they, and they got to pretty extreme levels as well mm-hmm. um, as, as we are. But so anyway, it's sort of, it, look, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Um, they've also been raising rates uh, pretty aggressively. I think even more aggressively yeah, than they have. The, the RBA. Yep. So, I mean, but this is this is kind of the design, right? This is this is what yeah. this was the goal of yep. aggressive yep. interest rate policy. So we can't be oh no, this happened. What? No, no. You, you wanted to take the heat out of the economy. You, you kind of tend to do it until something breaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone sort of take well, you know, certain segments take a real hit, and inflation comes down. Job done, right? So yeah. this is. Yeah. This yep. is this is where the U.S. is headed. I would say that this is where we're headed to, and it, I, I, it's a guess. Right? Let me let me catch all of this by saying it's a guess. It's the best it can be. But whether you look at yield curves or just all the boffins talk, I think there's a pretty there's a majority consensus that that's where we're sort of headed, and mm. and again by by design. So might be a bit of a a, a bit of a um, glimpse to the future for ourselves. It's going to be hard to avoid, mate. I I still speculate we'll be just okay on a GDP level. Uh, if I was going to... I, I don't do predictions because it's not worth it. I've just railed about that. I would I would speculate if you asked me to. Then I, I reckon we're probably more likely not to have one than to have one, but not by a yeah. whole lot. It's probably 60-40 right now. Um, partly, by the way, because we're taking in so many bloody people. Uh, we're taking a million and a half odd people or whatever the number is over, over a couple of years, which frankly... If you can't grow by, by you know by growing the, the population that significantly, you're not really trying. We've got, we've got much bigger issues if we end up with a recession with that sort of population growth. Actually, uh, Matt fact, Barry was talking mental. exactly. I was thinking about you when I was watching. Was, he was railing <laughs> exactly about that as well. There you go. So, yeah, it's easy, yeah, I mean, it's easy it, to do, right? So it's a it's a yeah, it's a sleight of hand. Hey, yeah, we're all we're all a bit poorer, but overall we're all richer together. So that's okay, isn't it? So well, it's depends a, how many of us there are. It's a bit of it's a bit of madness. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit of madness. 
But interesting nonetheless. Um, I, I to your point, mate. I I think if they let, let me let me put one point of optimism before returning to the pessimism again. Uh, U.S. inflation is down to four percent. I think from yeah from I mean, nine point something. Right. Yeah. I. I don't really claim to know with any degree of expertise the transmission mechanisms globally for inflation. We know there are global commodities. We know there's global trade. But the US had inflation, what was it, three or four months before us? It's kind of kicked in. Um, I absolutely remember tweeting back in oh, December 2021, I think, um, something like, you know, it may be, we, 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 we may be watching our own movie in advance. You know, we were getting a preview here. If this happens here, we'll be sorry. Now, it did, and you know, I'm, again, I'm no expert. I didn't say it was going to. I just, you looked at the US and went, well, I don't think it's like it's going to just stay there. But, you know, maybe we're getting a glimpse of what, we, what we're in for. I, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful, speaking of optimism, that maybe we're seeing the same thing on the way down. That if there is some delay mechanism somehow between the US and Australia, um, again, not directly, a whole lot of indirect reasons, nothing nothing planned about it, obviously, but it, it's possible, <laughs> hopeful, uh, that we actually are starting to see some, some, you know, much, much lower inflation. Price still going up, by the way. Nothing, nothing's deflating. It's just not inf- inflating as quickly. Um, Never deflates. That'd be a pretty... Yeah. Right. Yeah. That'd, that'd, be a, that'd be a pretty good thing. So I am, I am hopeful, mate. I'm... I am, I am hopeful that we've seen this movie before. And if, if we have got reason to believe there is some sort of just general delay in transmission, then we hopefully are seeing our future in the US experience. Now, if we get down to, gee, four, four and a half percent over the next 12 months, that'd be a spectacularly good result. So I'm, I'm optimistic slash hopeful that maybe, maybe that's the future for us. Yeah, I mean, 5% would be nice. You're, you're only losing close to a fifth of your purchasing power over... <laughs> Three or four years. <laughs> I think it'll. I think you and I. We should. We should actually. We should make a formal bet of this. But uh, I. I am more hopeful than you are that inflation will come down further. I. I think. I still expect we to uh, to target ban one way or the other, and by one way or the other, it might include a recession. By the way, so you want to be yeah. careful what you wish for. Isn't I think. Weird? I think we are yeah. past the peak. I mean, I've said that before. I, my, yeah. my. Again, this is all guesses, but I, I do think totally. we stay a bit above range for uh, for longer. Um, just just because of the very fine balancing act that we we yeah. sort of have to have to tread here, because um, uh, as I said, while we do want the economy to sort of slow, that, that's the very that's the exact intent. You don't want to push that too far. There's a difference. Right. Recessions is a broad term, right? You can have what New Zealanders had was down point seven, down point one, or you could have down three and then down five. And it could last for like both, 10, both ten quarters, yeah, yeah. and or it could last for yeah, two yeah. quarters, right? And, so, and by the way, you can have a five percent growth and then a recession. Yep. Or one percent growth and then no recession. Yes. And while there are while there's dislocating factors in the sizes of those movements, economically, you better, if you go grow at five then backwards at one, or you go up one percent then one percent, you'd rather the former every time. Except yep. that it would put people out of work and businesses fail. So there's it's it's not it's not um there's some value in, in slower and smoother. Don't get me wrong. But if over time uh, we talk about with share prices, right? That yep. we get the long term returns with some really hairy volatility. We've talked about that before. Uh, but that's kind of the same with the economy too. It's yes, we want to. You'd always want to avoid a recession if you can, because why would you choose to go backwards? Mm. But you also got to be a little bit mindful of. And this is we saw this with COVID. Well, actually, let's go to retail sales now because we saw during COVID some really stunningly massive swings in in business fortunes. We saw online retailers. Sorry, let's start with physical retailers, right? During COVID, sales through the floor. Mosaic brands had to restructure. Um, lots of businesses doing it tough. Then the year after that, hey, we're all geniuses. Look how fast sales are growing. And it's because, well, of course they were, guys. You just came out of lockdown. Like people were like back in the shops. What did you think would happen? The same is true of online retailers in reverse, which is COVID happens. Everyone goes, well, I guess I'll buy online then. The year after, you've had you've had the biggest spike you will ever have 
economically, by definition, with the base of sales anyway. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's exactly what it's good. It is the base of it. So it's, what did you start with? And overall, the question is, and this is where it's been really tough slash interesting for analysts like us, is you've got to go back to 2019. I know I've said this before, but the fiscal year 2019 is the last time we had a clean year. That ended June 30, 2019. Even this financial year is not a clean year. Mm. Think about what we had to, you know, the, the rebound, as you've just talked about, is happening in both directions for online and offline retailers. So probably fiscal year 2024 is going to be the first year. So it's another 12 months from now to get to the end of that. We then compare that with 2019 to look at the last five years have delivered. It's, it's a big, big, big span of time where you've mm. kind of got to suck it, suck a thumb a little bit and go, well, I think the line looks roughly this shape. It's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah, it, it is. It's extremely hard to do. Um, yeah, I mean, what's to say? The I think we you, you have to tease apart a lot of these things. In all things mm. uh, economic, there are they're usually multifactorial in nature. Yeah. It's not this X plus Y equals Z yeah, kind right. of thing. Exactly. It's like X plus two Y divided by the derivative of the, 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 you know, it's, yeah, and, yeah. and they, actually even that doesn't exist, right? There's a fallacy right. that you can even even do that, right? So it's this dynamically chaotic system. And then because and then and, the X at the end is sentiment slash behavior. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so for, for all the for all the economic, you know, even even if you had every single piece of history, and then you said, okay, well, when this thing's happened, that thing happens. It's like, yeah, but it depends how people were feeling at the time. Yep. It, you know, for all of that, it's it's literally a case of that happened. I felt good. The same thing happened. I felt bad. Okay, different results. Right. Try factor that into your models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I so, so come back to the inflation sort of angle here because it all sort of ties together. I mean, we talk about inflation, but there's, mm. it's more to it than that. There's supply side inflation, inflation. There's demand side mm-hmm. inflation. There's mm-hmm. monetary inflation. There's mm-hmm. asset price inflation. And they're all acting in concert. And, you know, at the end of the day, you look at the price of a box of cornflakes and sort of a whole bunch of that is sort of <laughs> sort of fact, factored into it. So yeah. I, we had this big supply shock with yeah. the war in Ukraine, really, which might, hasn't that dropped out, out of the headlines. But anyway, that's- well, I say with COVID, funnily So it's even, I mean, even actually, the, yes, the, yes. Container, the container shipments right. and supply chains, the car industry is still not back to normal after three plus years of, of COVID. I mean, this, my brother and my brother and his wife time. took two years to get the car. That they, oh, wow. uh, they bought a new one, yeah. Gee, I hope they like the one they bought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said, I hope they give you the new model too. Just yeah. chip yeah, shortages that, yeah. Yeah. And, and and all of this, anyway, this kind sorry, of stuff. So that's okay. kind of rolling over a little bit because container volume uh, prices are coming down. Commodity prices have been coming down mm. for the for the most part from from some of those sort of supply, which are always going to because that's what happens with commodities when you know when supply gets restrained, prices go up. When it comes back mm-hmm. on, they they come back down. Yes. So that's. Yeah. But then with, within that, you've, you've also got not just the sentiment around what happened with the reopening, just back to retailers and what people mm. were, were doing there, but we all just got free money yeah. <laughs> on top of that, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that was washing through at the same time. And now we sort of look at whether it's DJs or the Visa or any, you know, um, all of these retailers, Adairs, you know, coming out and saying how, how tough it kind of is. Mm. You've kind of got that base effect. You've kind of got that initial splurge uh, out of the way, but you've also yeah, got, well, the yeah. stimulus isn't there anymore right, right, right. as well. So again, you sort of have these factors all sort of, sometimes they push against each other. Sometimes they both mm. move in the same direction. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, it's like two sine waves, you know, uh, mm. different frequencies at points they, 
the peaks just and the troughs line up together. Yeah. And that's when you tend to see the really big moves. And I feel as though that's a and little frankly, bit. Frankly, that's actually that's the best definition, definition of economic cycles broadly. Yes. Yeah. You know, because when things move a little bit off off kilter and they kind of cancel each other out, not much happens. Yeah. When when you get the big peaks and the big troughs just happen to to, to align, that's exactly when you Which do have those will. big economic shocks. Yeah. They yeah. just will at certain yep. points, right? So. Yep. So yeah, I, I think um, I think as we've sort of said, there is. Mm. I don't think it's going out on a limb to say there's going to probably be more pain to come for a lot of retailers. Um, there's probably there's there's as I've often said, there's you've got to as an investor look at whether this is what you would consider structural or cyclical. Mm. Guess mm. what? Retail is hyper cyclical kind of industry. Anyone who's worked and you know owned a business yes. and that yes. knows it yeah. very well. Doesn't yeah. matter how great an operator you are, you know you you can be um, Sam. Um, Walton. Walton, thank you. At Walmart, you know, or any other famed <laughs> yep. sort of retailer. Yes, and you just yes. you're gonna go through tough period. And that's part of the that's yeah. part of the expectation, right? They just it just yeah. sort of happens. And I suspect there's gonna be some babies thrown out with the bathwater amongst all of mm. this. And mm. you've got to be careful oh, with saying things like this, because things can always get worse before they get better. And it might be sort of like five years before sort of the, the value that, mm. that may be around for some retailers is really sort of seen as apparent. And we look back at, oh man, look, if only I had I had done that. At, that, at this point in time. But it is getting very interesting. It is getting very interesting because you, you have some mm, very yeah. big name, very entrenched, very established, very strong balance sheet sort of retailers yep. um, that are profitable and paying a dip, not as profitable, not the dividends yeah, probably won't be, be. Yeah, as, yeah. as sort of good, but they're trading on single digit PEs. And maybe if you want to be aggressive in some of the forward assumptions, maybe the forward PEs are uh, you know still low double digits. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem uh, expensive. I think that's right. I think if we so let's let's go into that retail environment, mate. Because I I kind of inferred at the beginning. I am at a point now where I think, without making forecasts, I think it's reasonable to believe the RBA's finally had its way with the economy uh, over the past three or four weeks. Camera exactly. We've had four big bits of information. The first one was baby bunting with a disappointing sales update. Mm. The second was Adairs, the homewares retailer, with a disappointing sales update. The third, actually, I'll come back to the third. The fourth was David Jones this week, some leaked information given to the Australian newspaper. Uh, the sales over the last couple of months are down more than 10%. In some stores, down as much as 38%. Gosh, that is massive. And actually, there's five bits of data. The fourth one is Commonwealth Bank, then the day after that, released their household spending indicator, where household spending was up 3.1%, but entertainment, clothing, and travel were all down, and entertainment and travel were down 6 and 8% respectively. I can't remember which way around. It might be the other way around, but either way, 6 and 8%. Now, so spending's up 3 but those discretionary categories, let's travel a bit less, let's go out a bit less, let's buy a few, you know, a few fewer pairs of jeans because money's a bit tight... That is absolutely happening. And the reason I think, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, man, if I have my apologies to listeners. Did we talk about the GDP um, household savings ratio last week? I can't remember. I can't. Um, let me do it again. I'm a goldfish, mate. I can barely remember what I oh, had for breakfast. Man, I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. GDP was up, which is always good. We just talked about New Zealand's GDP being down. So we'll take up rather than down. But the household spending ratio, household saving ratio, I should say, fell to less than 4% of income. Now, you talked about the handouts in COVID, mate, and stimulus. It was 20%. We saved 20% of our incomes. 
when much of the country was locked down. Why? Because we were locked down. We had we had you know more money or less to spend it on. Mm. We weren't traveling. We weren't you know buying a lot of stuff. We were buying some things online. But so we saved twenty percent of income. And by the way, we were scared. So what do you do? You kind of hoard mm. money just in case you need it later. This time around, people might still be as scared, but interest rates and, and mortgage refunds continue to take more and more and more out of the economy. And by the way, so does inflation. So everything's more expensive. And that household savings ratio over, and it's been a while, it's been two years probably since those numbers were hit their peak. Um, we're now down to less than 4%. And if you kind of triangulate all that stuff, and you don't even need to try very hard because they all point in exactly the same direction. There's, there's, there's no fancy thinking here with algebra to, to work this out. I reckon the GDP number is the big one, mate. As much as the other ones will get more coverage because they are, air quotes, real spending, and they are, the the reality is the RBA had to start from a very long way back. If you're trying to stop people spending and they're already saving 20% of their income, they'll save 19%, then 18%, then 17%, then 15%, then 13%, and 12%, and 5%. On the way to where we are now, and they'll absorb all of those interest rate increases in inflation by saving a little bit less mm-hmm. until you can't save any less because there are no savings to be had. And then, only then, economically, and some people already in this space, some people listening will say, hang on, I've been cutting back for 12 months. And I, again, I'm not suggesting there is any way, not everyone is average, and I'm not suggesting it's not impacting anybody. But at an economic level, it really just, that number really stuck out to me, mate, as now now stuff is getting real. This is, this is the RBA has spent... I think it's fair to say, people can disagree, they should have gone harder and earlier. So we should have been at this point more quickly, maybe even six or seven months ago. But I feel like we're now at the point where the RBA has finally got to where they wanted to get, which is we can now fine-tune a little bit because we've taken all that excess saving out, we've taken all that excess spending out. Now we actually can have the impact we've been trying to have for, for more than 12 months. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, and, and you're right with 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 certain things at least for a time masking what what else is going on you know what i always find interesting too is the sort of the demographic angle here because we have a pretty sizable chunk of the population mm. i'm going to generalize here um god. you'll guess which generation in a minute but <laughs> oh god here we go but um uh largely debt-free essentially debt-free <laughs> with with uh, you know the beneficiaries of of decades of aggressive asset price appreciation, and if you're travelling around the country in a caravan, um, visiting your various investment properties, <laughs> you're a cynical, cynical man. But my point is, I mean, someone I saw a really great tweet the other day. Someone up at the Gold Coast, just like boomers, boomers everywhere, spending like crazy, and like, and I'm not having a go at the generation. I mean, you, nah, you nah, play nah. the cards you're dealt, right? And right good on you, you yeah, right? Yeah, you know, I would yeah. have done the same thing. You you worked hard, you saved hard, you bought some um, your house, and and then you know all these structural factors just mm-hmm. made you asset millionaires, uh, very mm-hmm. large, significant sums. Yeah, people. In just very ordinary, average-paying jobs from from thirty mm. years ago, are, are probably millionaires if they if they paid off their house, which you which when you're buying your house for four times average income wasn't 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 that sort of hard to do. And and these this is what again makes it so extraordinarily difficult from a high level policy perspective because. Yeah. Who cares if the interest rates are up a quarter of a percent more, right? Like it, it doesn't matter. You know, maybe it doesn't. My returns aren't as good. I'll, just, I'll do some rent increases or something like that. But it's, mm-hmm. it's there. There are there are people out there. I think it was the stat is seventy percent of renters are in in, in stress. Uh, something like forty eight percent of mortgagees are in stress, uh, yeah. as as yeah. defined by. A, I think it's a once you hit a certain threshold of disposable income, going to service that. Yeah. Right. Um, 
and then you got a whole other segment and just like we're doing fine thanks properties at record levels uh we've 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 never been richer i've got no debt so i don't really care (laughs) in fact interest rates going up means my term deposits and my cash investments are actually doing better for me and uh but they are they also are the households that aren't forming new households you know Mm, so you're mm. you're probably less uh it, it is there are going to be i would i would suggest something like an adairs probably is is going all those Temple and Webster's, all those that are yep, very yep. much predicate on new family homes and stuff coming up, people needing to furnish those, is, is probably going to be more impacted than, uh, well, stupid example, caravan sales. <laughs> or, or like, <laughs> you know, uh, yep, yep. yeah, anyway. So I, I, is there a fair point to be made in that, I, I, in, in looking at different segments? And because mm. and, I think we, we're always, any, commentator is always and i'm guilty more guilty than anyone of, of contextualizing everything through your own lens well this is how it impacts oh, yeah. me this is what my peer group is experiencing and seeing therefore that's the reality yeah, of it all. exactly that's right you know? and i've yeah. got some younger yeah. friends who are in, in uh, uh, you know yeah, more the yeah. millennial sort of generation and they've got very different take and then i've got you know people who are you know plus 55 a completely yeah. different take yeah yeah Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. I think what we're experiencing, mate, is a more more extreme sounds too extreme in itself. So I'm trying to find a better way to phrase it. I think the distributions are widening. Can I say that using some economic jargon without... And I, and I say that to not sound jargony and like I'm trying to BS anyone or, or you know, sound smart. But I'm trying to use the right language, kind of moderate what I'm trying to say. I don't, the, you know, the I think the the range of experiences we're having is getting broader. Mm. Now, you know, I am very aware that when I was when I was a kid, uh, mum and dad, mum worked, dad worked two jobs. We had seagrass matting on the floor and flannelette sheets for curtains, right? You know, and it's not to say that you know we did it tough or they did it tough or the strips of having the smashed overs or any of that sort of stuff. I guess I just want to make the point that. Back then, I think the same when, when rates were at eighteen percent in the nineteen nineties, early nineties, there were people who owned their homes then who had who would you know we could have had the same conversations, just change the change the generational labels back one or two notches, and we're, we're having the same conversations, right? The boomers are in trouble. The silent generation are fine. You know, Gen X is the kids, and you know, it's a, the, the, there is something of an echo, I think, um, that goes through these economic cycles. We've talked about cycles. Right? Cycles have always happened. And there have always been winners and losers at different parts of the cycle. And you're always better off having no debt than debt, unless, by the way, you're mm. in a highly inflationary time and you've got a wage increase, which are hard to come by. Um, so, but, you know, and those things are true. I've, I've spoken to, you know, people who invested in either their own or investment property during that period. And so I just, I just bunkered down and got through it. And I'm glad I did because look what's happened to prices since. And now, whether that's good luck or good management, we can argue about it. Maybe we wouldn't even argue, we'd probably agree on it. Mm. But, um, I think it's so, so. I guess I'm just saying it's always been it's always been hard. There's always been, you know, home ownership hasn't changed dramatically in proportional terms. Um, roughly a third renting, roughly a third owning, roughly a third paying a mortgage is not that dissimilar. Um, home ownership broadly hasn't. Yeah, there's a couple of percentage points moving. That's big on a, on a population level of 27 million people. So it's not nothing. Um, so I think I think the patterns are similar. I think what I what I think we know is that the the 
as I said, the distribution is widening. There are, maybe because there's simply more boomers populated in terms of heads of population because of the boom, uh, there's more of them. And they've been very fortunate over the last 40 years to be the recipients of some meaningfully changing demographics, including second incomes, lower rates, um, you know, higher LVRs, lots of things that have, that have worked in their favor. So I think they're, they're more fortunate than their parents would have been in this same circumstance. I think their kids are less fortunate than they were in the same circumstance. I'm not sure the shape of the distribution is that different. Um, probably fatter tails, right? The, the kind of idea of, you know, we're just stretching things out a little bit more. There's less of, a, less of a bump in the middle. I think the challenge for me is we are, we are, the other thing, the other thing I don't want to get back in population for the sake of it, but, you know, we, it, it was easier to live in the cheaper suburbs 40 years ago because the cheaper suburbs were 25, 30 kilometers close than they are today. Because the Sydney population, the Melbourne population, the Adelaide population, choose your city, has just exploded since then, right? Um, again, sweet, my mum and dad's place they bought, it was 45 minutes drive from the city. Now, the same place with the same circumstances, probably now an hour and a half from the CBD. And so, you know, yes, the, the boomers were like, well, I'll just move out to the suburbs. We had to do the same thing. I, I, just, I, I just feel like the, I feel like the, the to use your, one of your favorite metaphors, the rubber band just being stretched a little bit further. Yeah. And as it's going to snap, I don't think. It's at an extreme. I don't think it's going to snap. I don't think we're necessarily in for anything bad. It's always possible, but not very likely in my view. But I think that's the challenge economically is just thinking about where you can have the impact. And because of that, that stretching, if you like, there's more money being spent and wealth being created at those ends. I guess one in particular, as you say, the retirees are simply, I'm sure the boomers are richer today than their parents were at the same age, oh. you know, X, X years earlier. Right? Question. And so, yes. And so as a proportion of economic activity and spending and whatever, they are just a larger chunk of that. And it does mean that, I guess then by definition, for the RBA to have the impact it wants to have, it has to go harder at the pieces of pie it can control, which is, in this case is mortgage lending and business lending. Uh, you know, it has to do relatively more in that group to have the, the same sized impact than if the population had been distributed differently as it was 30 years earlier. Yeah, but that's what's so brutally unfair about it, right? Now, you know, we keep, it, it's always that, been, I guess, my, my point too, though. I guess I'm making that point that we say it's unfair and it is, and it's probably less fair than it was or more unfair than yeah, it that's, was. Yeah, that's my point. But I guess the shape, the shape is not that different. It was the boomers who paid 98% back in the day would have been unfair relative to their parents who paid nothing. There's, there's always someone who gets whacked and it's always the mortgage payers at whatever generation. No, I think it. I think it's it's definitely more extreme. It's it. There is as I again we're having a chat off air. I just there there is a certain re- reality, mm. mathematical reality, to these kinds of things. So, um, the average house in Sydney is one point two million today. The average mm. income in Sydney is ninety two thousand dollars. That's thirteen x, right? So, right. so let's say I just graduated from university or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I get my first job and I'm right on. I'm straight away, I'm out the door, I'm on 92K a year, which is a really good outcome for a graduate. Okay? I was going to say, mate, that's, I think it averages averages, right? So ha- half of the incomes are below that number. Yes. And that's for everyone, not just graduates, yeah. right? But I'm, right, so right. I wanted to make, make, make the generational point yep. here yep. And, and, and just contrast it with what, what had happened in previous generations. So anyway, I've, just, I've done brilliantly well. I've studied really hard. I've landed a fantastic job. First day out of uni and boom, 90, almost 100 grand a year. Now, I've got to rent <laughs> somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, I've got to live. I've got to eat yeah. food. I've got to do it. And probably I want to, you know, not just eat two-minute noodles. So I want to have a little bit of joy mm. in my life as well. 
But think about living in Sydney where you're probably for an average two-bedroom unit anywhere, you know, is going to be somewhere around, depending where you are, but anywhere between 600 and 800 bucks and, and could be mm. a lot more than that, by the way. So if I want to save a deposit, a 20% deposit, so I avoid the mortgage insurance, usually it's at least traditionally considered, a, you know, about the, the minimum that you'd want. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of that's changed a little bit. But that means I've got to save up 240K on 96 grand a year. So that means that if I can somehow be really disciplined I, and, you know, I, I listen to my elders and I don't eat avocado on toast <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to take 10 years to save up 240K. Now, let's not even factor in inflation, right? Let's just say there's zero inflation, right? So that, that 24K in purchasing power is unchanged. I've now got 240,000 after 10 years, right? So now I'm probably in my early 30s <laughs> and I'm in a position to finally do this. Now, you've also got to factor in, well, prices will probably move if you want to take some people's um, Mm. heuristic you know property doubles every you know seven years apparently which is just absolute bubkus but but let's say it even grows at you know two or three percent sort of more in line with longer term traditional averages that actual that path gets stretched out even longer because the 10 the 10 percent is now much more than two hundred and forty thousand dollars. anyway mm. maybe i finally get there in my mid-30s just <laughs> you know working my butt off found a partner they've worked their butt off we've pulled it all together and now I've still got 20 to 25 years of repayments ahead of me just before I can finally own it before I drop off the, you know, and get out of the workforce and not long after that maybe drop, drop off the – it, mm -hmm. it is a brutally impossible situation, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got to factor in, well, how many people are on $92,000? Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Right? It's just it's, – it's, I just think it's – the maths is very clear on this. It is diabolically sort of difficult to sort of say, well, we just need, it's the average and we, we just have to do it. And there'll be this big chunk of the population, which is a slight annoyance for another part that's just going to like grind their faces into the dirt, you know? And then the government sort of sits there going, oh yeah, he's not a very nice guy, Mr. Lowe. It just, it drives me insane. <laughs> I agree with that too. You know, where it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like there is, there is a job I suppose for for interest rate policy trying to affect all of these things, but again, the fiscal side of things is the biggest is the elephant in the room that virtually yep. no one seems to, to uh, seems to to speak about, and it's incredibly so, and we, frustrating. We, yeah, and we've done that before a lot. I, I'm 100 percent with you, mate. That using only one single policy tool when there are dozens and dozens and dozens available for any government who seeks to find them uh, is, is is absolutely maddening, as you say. I want to throw you, we're way off topic, but that's what we do here. I want to throw you a challenge because I don't know the answer. And that is that we, what we have in Australia, as around the world, but more in Australia, it seems, than, than anywhere, is what is effectively a slow-moving perpetual auction of property, housing, land, the, the, whole, the whole, the property market, right? The property ladder, as you like to call it. Uh, <laughs> For those long-term listeners, um, the it, it happens. It happens regularly, right? And every time we and we've kind of talked about this a little bit before. Every time we buy or sell a property, we sell to the highest bidder because we're bound not to. Mm -hmm. And the highest bidder gets it because they want it more than I do, and they can afford it more than I do, so they get it more before rather than me. And that sets my expectations of the other properties, and then around and around and around and around we go. On one level, mate, this is. This is pure capitalism. It's pure markets doing what markets do. Now, interest rates aside, 
uh, and, and I, we shouldn't just put them aside, but let me explain why I'm going to put them aside for a second. Interest rates aside, the market decides what it wants to pay for housing, what it thinks housing is worth. And we all sit around and go, I'll pay that, I'll pay that, I'll pay that, I'll pay a little bit more. Honey, you've got to go out to work because uh, the housing is that expensive now. We can't afford you not to work. Okay, cool, I'll go and work. Great, now we can bid $1.4 million for that house. We'll mob down the road again if I bid $1.45 million. Okay, now here we go again, and around and around we go. There is some crazy, mixed up, screwed up, and I use other words if this wasn't a PG podcast, logic, where we all screw each other over and it's no one's fault because we all do it and we'd all do it if we had the choice. If we were the underbidder and we won because the, the higher bidder wasn't there, we'd happily screw, out the, screw over the next guy and he'd screw over the guy after that. Not, not deliberately because we're trying to screw them over, just because we want the house and we can afford it, so we do. At some, at some level, that's just what the um, economists call, is it um, express choice? What are they called? Price discovery? Or? No, no it's de- demonstrated preference. Dem- so like, yeah, you can say on a sheet, I think housing's worth X. Your demonstrated preference is what you actually pay, what you actually do, right? Mm. And so at some level, let's say interest rates didn't exist, or let's say they were 25%. Mm-hmm. The market at some level is going to say, I will, I am prepared to pay X percent of my income, combined household income, by the way, to buy the house because I just want it. And mm. that's, I'm going to forego the car or the holiday or the whatever, or the Twinkies or the, you know, to buy the house because that's the thing I'm, I'm prioritizing. At some level, even with all the fiscal policy in the world, and yes, we can argue the interest rates, the interest money is dead money, and but you know that aside, okay, let, let's almost assume rates didn't exist. I am not so sure we wouldn't collectively just bid up, you know, prices to the level they are now anyway, because we could. If rates are zero, I can afford to borrow even more and pay the same amount of my income off because I've already decided I'm happy to pay whatever it is a month to to you know me and my wife can afford this much per month. What can I buy for that much? I can buy that house there. Okay, you do the same. You can buy that house too. So, okay, we bid against each other and someone eventually gives up. I don't, I don't know how you fix the house. I, I guess I'm saying I don't know how you fix the market because I, mm. I don't think it's an interest rate problem. I think using rates to cool the economy is a separate question and it's a very good question that's what we've talked about before and I completely agree with you. But even if we say we're going to cool the economy some other way and rates as a result, therefore, are lower, <coughs> excuse me, there's a large portion of the population that goes, great, I can now pay more, which is exactly what we did during 2021 mm. when we all was a 22 whichever year it was when house prices went up 24 percent because we all went beauty we can go and borrow more let's do that mm. there, there is something just I, I don't i don't know the i genuinely don't know the answer man you can you can try and cap loans at a certain proportion of income but then you know to, to artificially hold prices down but what you then do is, pre- is you prioritize and preference the cash buyers I, I just i don't know how i would change housing prices because affordability is a function of price and price is a function of affordability if I can afford to pay more, I will. You can too, so we all do. And so here's... Don't we just end up in the same place? I, I don't know how to fix it is my, is my quandary. No, I've got, look, I don't pretend to have the answers, but I, I would say that macro prudential <laughs> tools are, are, you know, are vastly underused. So what yep. do you... Come back to first... We'll start at the beginning. What, what do we want here as a mm. country? You know, well, we, we'd like increasing prosperity. Generally, mm. you know, that requires security of housing and affordability mm. of housing as a base layer, really, for everything yep. that comes after that. It's very hard to be a productive member of society when you're, when you're living yeah. in your car, right, or under yeah. In, yeah. In, in, incredible rental stress or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, so we want that. We, we don't want we – want, um, we want sort of, I guess, rates of borrowing to be at a level which is, is um, encouraging of new business creation <laughs> and job creation and, and mm. all of these kinds of things. So – Rather than this one blunt tool, I would just sort of say, well, listen, there are restrictions on 
on how much you can borrow. There are buffers above official interest rates. There are you know, certain things. So what we do here is we stop inflating these asset bubbles, yet we still, we, we still can have uh, an impact in the areas that are more – it's just being more targeted. So it's, there's no perfect answer here. I'm just sort of saying we've got this sledgehammer on one hand of our tool belt, and on the other we've got these more surgical instruments. And yeah. it still depends on how you apply them. But I guess I, I would very much sort of start from from that that standpoint. What do we want? How we and 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 what's the best way to sort of go about it? Um, yeah. The, the thing that always like I think is really a sign of something broken is that the thing that we're talking about here. It's not that every Australian is wanting a quantum computer or yeah. a probe that will go to Mars. Or you know, we want a patch of dirt that has some bricks, timber, and steel on it, right? That's what we want. Yeah, we've yeah, we've yeah. had this technology for 5,000 years, right? Not, you know, yeah, well, yeah. why in an increasingly prosperous, rich society mm. is the most basic of goods, really, you know, since Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble were around? I mean, you know, they had a TV. <laughs> they had a roof over there. This is, this is not complicated stuff. So, Listeners, how do I tell Andrew that Barney Rubble and Fred Flintstone aren't real. That's my quandary right now. Just I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what I say. I'm not sure how uh, I have this conversation with him. Um, no, well, I, I agree with you. I guess my point though, mate, is that that's, that's true in a utopian communist society. No, 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 no. I'm saying you're, you're taking the free market angle. Like if markets were left to do it, they want to. I, I would, so let's like, this is a stupid example, but just to take yeah. it to the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely no regulation. I mean, 100% brutal free market capitalism. Find yeah, yeah. a patch of dirt. You go for it. You build whatever no. you want there, however you want. <laughs> I would imagine you're going to see yep. houses pop up every. Now, this would be a terrible yep. policy, of course, but I'm just yep. trying to yep. use a ridiculous example. <laughs> yep. You you would find supply radically improving because that's yep. what free markets do. They respond to to these kinds of things. Massive demand. Right, Are right, we right. wrong to demand that? No, we're not. It's absolutely a fundamental human right to demand a, a, a reasonable place to live in safety and security. Um, and 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 you, you would find that builders, um, uh, developers, and the rest of it would just come to the party. So on top of all of these other issues that we sort of talk about, we have sort of we have uh, it's a whole other topic, but we have sort of zoning regulations. We have uh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. there's just these. I'm saying, talk yeah. to a builder, right? There's a thousand of it. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> they're doing pretty well because there's a lot of wind in their yeah. sails. There's yeah. a very yeah. strong tailwind there, but it's not yeah. like the margins are fantastic <laughs> in this industry. And interestingly yeah, yeah. enough, yeah. when you look at the cost of building new property in Australia, it's very high compared to other places of the world. So mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, is that it needs an intelligent look at things. What are all the different causes here? What can we target more specifically? What are going mm -hmm. to achieve the kind of end goals that we want? Rather than let's just keep inflating this this massive Ponzi <laughs> and yeah. doing everything we can because we've we've used we've now built the entire foundation of our economy <laughs> on this, you know. The end of the day, that's the wee that's the wee problem I have, mate. Is I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a wee because I don't think it's policy. Like that, that's 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 almost the right. No, it's a, it's question, a, it's a policy is, because people are going to rightly I think to some extent yeah. I want a house. And that is yes. a very normal and respectful thing to sort of want. I want to raise a family. I just I want, I want a house, right? I just want right. I, actually, I just want security of, 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 of sort of um, 
of, of tenancy. And, and, and why, is it, why is it so impossible to sort of say, okay, we can, we can do that for you. We can, we can reduce the barriers to get into that without having to bludgeon everything else in, in the process. I'm not explaining myself well. No, no, you are. I, just, I, I guess when we, I, it's the we thing that I guess I don't know how we solve because the, the we, as you rightly point out regularly, the economy is not one thing. It's lots of little things. And I guess the lots of little things at the moment say, oh, I think housing is worth spending X percent of my income on. Oh, that's right. That because was my that's, point. Yeah. That's, how much I, that's how much I want to spend. And I, I could choose not to buy the house. Right, every every one of us could choose not to buy the house. Most of us should actually decide to actually work a little bit less, spend a little bit less, and go and live in the country and have a healthier, happier life. But we don't because the rat race is the rat race, and we all feel like we, that's the race we have to run because yeah. we've been told. If you to win do. the rat race, you're still a rat. That's still the problem. rat exactly, and that's a whole different conversation as well. But one worth having. Um, I just, I just, I still, you know what yeah, I mean? Like I think the, the express, the, the express preference, the reveal preference is, I will spend this much on a house because I can. And I just, I think if we said to people, let's, let's drop rates and let's use other fiscal policies to restrain the economy, that would be fairer and better and more appropriate and I'd be all for it. And I think as a result, we would actually see house prices increase because people go, beauty, rates are now 3% again rather than 5%. So I can now, and I think we would go straight back to that. I guess that's my point is our revealed preference is, you know, it's not rates themselves out of the problem. It's, it's us. And, I, and I, on one hand, I'm saying, Maybe that's okay, frankly. On the other hand, I'm saying, I don't know how we resolve something when you and I might say, if we designed a society from scratch, we would have people behave a certain way. The reveal preference is we choose to behave this way. We choose to prioritize housing. We choose to bid it up because we can. Therefore, you know, yes, if we change right. the rate settings, no, we still have the same problem with price, with house affordability, I guess. Yeah, you know, you're 100% right. I, I, I had a brain snap before. Let me, let me, let me, let me come at it again. The, Go for it. There is the, the, the reveal, the, the preference that people have is absolutely fine. Uh, it's not a question of what they want to do, but it's a question of what they can do. And that's where the system settings are important. And I am very firmly of the view that what most of us tend to do is we say, I want a house, really good starting point, go to the bank, Mrs. or Mr. Bank Manager, how much can I borrow? You can borrow this much. Great. That's what I'm going to go out and do. Oh, can oh, Mr. Politician, I can access my super? Fantastic. Oh, you're going to give me a first home owner grant? Fantastic. So we're, we're coming at it from a, 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 the right place. And yes, people are going to bid to what, what they're able to do, but we, we have given them the capacity through system settings to, to bid much more than they would otherwise be able to. CBA is bigger than Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. Right, seventy percent. They are a mon- for a country of what do you say, twenty-seven million people. Yes, they are a monster. And then when you look yes. at the oligopoly, which is a, a very deliberate term because it's <laughs> what it is, right? Like it's yes, not. It is. It, it, just, it, it is right. The oligopoly yep, yep, of the, the big four banks and maybe five yep. if you throw in, in Macquarie. Yep. they are just trillions of dollars in assets, right? And yes. and seventy percent of CBA's loan book is residential property. Yes. And that wasn't always the case. I think back in the day, it was more like 30% or something like that. Right. So, yeah. so what, yeah. what, what we have done, not deliberately, but it's just the way things yes. have rolled out. Yes. Yeah. Usually with politicians with good intentions, we want to help Australians get their home. We've got to, got to deregulate finance. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Very kind of you, but let's go with that assumption. Do you know what I mean? Like they have, yeah. they, they have, we have unintentionally fostered conditions 
where we have allowed people to spend far yes. more than they yes. otherwise would have wanted to. So yes. I'm not blaming okay. people for doing what they've done, right? Like they, right. What, they, they, have, they have come from a very sensible starting point, but we've mm. sort of engineered the system in such a way that it's just, I, I used the term before to you off earlier, that anti-fragile kind of thing. We, we are very yeah. fragile. But we're walking through a tinder dry forest that hasn't had rain in like two years and you know <laughs> we're smoking cigarettes it's it seems <laughs> it seems like that, that it's that it's yeah. and and it, and, the, and we are now in a situation where it's kind of like oh okay well things have probably got a bit too crazy we need to fix a housing yeah. affordability it's like okay how do we fix housing affordability i don't know but right, we that's, definitely that's, that's, don't but we definitely right. don't want houses to get cheaper we want it more affordable <laughs> but we definitely don't want house prices to go down now if if, if that yeah. blows doesn't blow your brain when you really think about it i don't know what to tell you and that's the impossible but, no, situation that we're, we're trying to sort of wrestle with let's keep house prices from falling yeah. uh, in fact let's keep them rising we don't even want them to go sideways right um but let's increase your housing affordability Go. <laughs> but politics, have an but po- but no, I agree with you. But politics aside, I guess I'm wondering, I, I guess my point is, I'm not sure you could. Like, I, well, I'm not sure how you would. So, so let's say we want to improve affordability and including, including maybe house prices dropping, right? What, what are you going to do to me to stop me paying as much or more for the house when I go to auction next weekend? I mean, short of, short of sort of, you know, command and control economy stuff of show me your passport, I'll give you 15 housing stamps, you know, I'll use those number of stamps on something. It's, yeah, you know, tell you what, we, yeah. we could absolutely impose price caps on whatever else we chose to, I suppose. Yeah. But if you said to me, you know, you can't, you can't bid more than X percent for that house. I'd say, well, how, how, do you, how do you suggest that in a democratic society where, I mean, you could, you could just say, well, screw it, I'm happy to repeal that part of democracy and say, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. have the state set housing prices. Yep. But short of that, like, I'll tell you what I do. If I'm prepared to pay, if I'm prepared to pay forty percent of my income in house price for the house, for a house, yeah, you set rates at one percent or one hundred percent. I will still spend forty percent of my income. The amount of house I buy is probably different, and we might all bid the house price down based on the higher rates. But the amount of income I still choose to allocate to housing, that that's the key one, right? How much how much you get to allocate to housing? That is the thing that changes house prices far more than anything else, or, or yep. re, you know, repayments more than anything else. I should say. Again, macroprudential controls. And we're not doing it as a command and control kind of thing. Remember, these things were introduced to ensure economic stability because let yes. run rampant, you introduce all kinds of fragilities into the system, which can, can bring us all down. Look at what happened mm-hmm. in the US. Watch, rewatch the big short, right? <laughs> that's, that's why we have these things. And, and, and so it's not a matter of saying you can't pay more than $1.13 million for a house in this suburb. It's not, that's stupid. Right. I, I disagree with, as, as a renter, I disagree with the Greens policy of rent caps and, and yeah, the rest of stupid. it. Like, it's, yep. it's, it, it doesn't, it, it, good intention, but it, yes. doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So it's not about, it's about sort of saying we want a robust system and people can spend, if you want to spend 40% of your money on your house, absolutely have at it. It's your choice to do it. And I'm not going to question your desire not to do it. But but to ensure broader economic stability and longer term prosperity, I probably would say that I think we should have a three to 4% buffer on current interest rates to ensure that we protect people and the system for unexpected rapid increases in interest rates. Because guess what? That happens mm. from time to time as we're, as we're relearning. Uh, right now. Yeah. I would probably ensure that there is a certain, we use whatever benchmark you want, you know, price to income or debt to income yep, or yep. what, something that just helps keep things, just put certain guardrails up yep. to, to allow consumers to do whatever they want, but they operate within that context. Mm. Not because we have to say from up on high that this is as much as a house should be worth, but yeah. to sort of say, we want, we want, we want structure 
a, a structural strength within our system and then let the free market have at it. But what we so I, do, what yeah, we sorry, do is yeah. we give free money to, to, to first home buyers, which just ends up going into the pockets of vendors. I agree. We, with that, we allow people to tap into their super. We reduce yeah. the serviceability buffers. We reduce lending. I mean, like that is the dumb yeah, part yeah, of yeah. all of this. All at the same time of increasing interest rates. I mean, we, we sort of, you know, we're, yes. we're, we're pulling in opposite directions here. And yep. if that's not madness, I don't know what is. <laughs> no, I, I, and I, and I'm not defending any of the past policies. But we, you know, I've both been pretty vocal on, on that debacle um, in the past. I guess my thought, though, mate, broadly is we talked about the widening extremes or the grown distribution, however you want to define that thing, right? If I'm a cash buyer, if I'm a boomer who's driving the caravan and the land cruise around the country, I don't have any lending constraints if I want to sell a house and buy another one. Yep. My, my concern is that that policy as proposed, if I'm willing to spend 40% of my income on repayments or whatever the number is, you, you might only be able to borrow a certain amount, but that's, that almost makes the, the, the first home buyer's problem worse rather than better. Because you say to them, you know, nuts to you, you can only borrow 90% of the house price or X times your income or combined income or whatever the numbers are. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, it turns out I'm actually now 45. I already own, I have equity of half a million dollars in my house. So I'm going to use that. I'm only going to borrow 90% of the next house. And so I can buy, I can pay more for that house. It, it, at, some, at some market level, I, I don't know. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm worrying too much about a smaller issue, but it just strikes me that all, all that does is penalizes borrowers even more against those with cash who are the very group we're saying need most help because those with cash have already got too much of the economy. That's where I worry about those lending uh, criteria being artificially applied to a, a group and not another group because they don't need it. And again, I'm not saying we should restrict the other group either and we're both, you know, we're unity ticking on price caps. That's the bit I don't, I just, I, without, I'm not I, saying targeting a group. I'm, I'm saying across the board. No, I'm saying just it does target the group, but it does target the group because by definition, what you're saying to the first group is, I'm going to limit how much you can buy for your first house because you've got a, a small deposit, you're desperately saving for it, you're doing your best. Once I've got some equity, I get the, I get to leapfrog over all those people because they're restricted. Ah, I can only borrow, I can borrow, you know, uh, yes. whatever buffer you apply, eight percent of the buffer. Yeah, I can. I, I've got a larger income already. I already have half a million dollars of equity in my house. Mm -hmm. So when I borrow at an eight percent buffer for the next place. I only need to borrow 70% of the, the property price because I've got already some money. Great, now I can borrow, buy a $2 million house and the poor first-time buyer is even further screwed because we're artificially constrained. They could pay more. We won't let them pay more, but we'll let the cash buyer because we should let the cash buyer pay whatever they want with their cash. It makes the whole dynamic worse. Now, what you're forgetting, I hear what you're saying, but I think what you're forgetting here, let's do a thought experiment, right? So let's Shoot. take every single potential buyer out of the market Yes, and we'll just leave those that have that are debt free with, or at least with huge amounts of equity in the system. Yep. They, so they own a house, and they probably own multiple houses. Yes, right. And so these are, the market is for you guys, right? There's yep. no there's no new money coming into the system. Now, yep. again, mark free market dynamics would suggest it was like at a point that just caps out because it's sort of like, well, yes. we're just flipping it to each other here. We're both in a we're both in the same situation here. So there's no. That you need fresh money to sort of come in to sort of elevate those things. So I, I would imagine under that scenario, you actually would see prices stabilize much more and certainly stop running away at these rampant rates. And you and you might say, well, okay, well, I'll just buy up all the properties and I'll just lift the rent up all the time. But you, you, again, with rent, you run into very, very real affordability issues. It might say on your spreadsheet, if I just increase rent by 15%, it's fine. Well, yeah, guess what? Yeah. 70% of people can't afford the rent that they're already on, yeah. okay? Yeah. So I don't know what the magic number is. It gets to a point where it's just yeah. like, I 
I, I have the desire to rent this house. I just don't have the capacity <laughs> to rent this place, which is underpinning I, yes. the cash flows yes. of these other parties. So you, so this is where I think I, this is where I think it does have an impact. Is mm. that, and and this is what sort of propagates the the, the Ponzi to to some extent is that we mm. need to keep ensuring all of this fresh new money coming in, whether that be credit or whether that be accessing other government money or our own money yes. in super or whatever it is, we're putting new money into the system, which keeps, the, that's what a Ponzi is. It only goes when new money <laughs> comes into the system, right? And I think, I think you, that I can't let you call the housing market a Ponzi unchallenged. Come on. I think dude. it's, I think Seriously. it's, I think, I think it's got a lot of elements to it in the sense that people who make money today are dependent on new money coming in. If you're wanting to talk about, but that's, all, but that's always been, gains. but that's but that's that, that Ponzi loses its loses its. I mean, if that is true, sure, but then everything's a Ponzi because it, the economy is a Ponzi because you need new money coming in. At, at some point, the, the the term loses its it loses its uh, you know meaning other than other than as some generic slander, right? Like it's it, it, you know it, it hasn't hasn't housing always been that case? If you want, if you want the price of any asset go share prices, that must be a Ponzi because of new money coming in. Someone's got to buy the shares. If I'm going to sell them, uh, I mean, at some point, doesn't that doesn't that just simply lose? Uh, I'd its, say that it yeah, look, it, 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 it's a hyperbolic term. I grant you, but but I would say the difference with companies uh, or the economy at large is that we're actually we're actually making more stuff. Where value sure. extra value is being created. No value is being created for anyone. If my house goes, I don't have a house. If someone's house goes up <laughs> by a million dollars, yeah, what value has been created for the economy? None. It's been created for yeah. me personally because yeah. new money has come in, but no money has been now. If a if a if a share market over long periods of time mm -hmm. tends to go up, it's because all these yeah. businesses are far more productive. They, they are, that is the that is the true source of the wealth generation within that. Yes. What makes it more? And I, I do grant you, it is a, a hyperbolic term, but where, <laughs> where I think I had, you, to, I had to at least say something. You did, you I'm did. Saying. But I, I think the distinction here is that yeah. this is a non-productive asset. Right. Yeah. Right. And in terms of people coming to the expectation of doubling every seven years, it, it that is only possible. Either the economy is growing at an incredible rate, you know, to sort yeah. of justify to justify the affordability, or something else is going on there, and that yeah. that relies on fresh new money. Where did the fresh new money come from over the last few decades? Well, we now had two income earners. That's that's a big Correct. pile of fresh new money. Yeah. We now had. Um, Better, better, better lending standards, lower rates, yep. lots of yep. money. Higher LVRs. Yep. yep. That's what put it up, right? All within yes. a context of diminishing, like the rate of supply was nowhere near the, the rate of demand growth just through population. So it's mm -hmm. these these are the, the Ponzi-ish elements of it. So is property a Ponzi as like, you know, no, it's just a bit of land with some bricks on it. That, it's not, yep. it's not, it's it's what we make it and it's what our expectations have become. Yes. And we've just got to think, okay, that's fine if that is your expectation. But I would say for anyone with very bullish sort of expectations on capital gains growth is like, Where's the money come from? I, and, 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 and I, I am a hundred percent with you. I, I have, I think, I think you know, I don't expect horrible things, and I'm not particularly anti-property, but I, I think that maths is absolutely right. I remember this a few years ago. I should dig it up somewhere. Um, if you look at what has driven the increase in house prices, uh, I, did, I did the numbers and I kind of worked it backwards. I looked at average incomes. Like you add a, a, sac, a second average income to a household, mm. you can afford to pay a certain amount more. Mm. Rates go from seven percent to three percent. You can afford to borrow, pay a certain amount more. You Twice can, you can almost literally. Mm. I mean, you can't. We said earlier in the podcast, you can't do the algebra of a plus b plus c equals d. Mm. It doesn't work mm. that way. But you can kind of work that backwards and look at exactly the sorts of impacts those things had, and diagnose. I think it's you know. 
And it's almost, in a funny way, it goes back to my original point, which is what we chose to do as a society is take earnings power and turn that into a slow running perpetual auction for shelter, mm-hmm. which is what we did, yeah. right? But as you say, that has a natural, the, the, the rate, the pace of growth of house prices reflects the changing inputs and demographics far more than it does the asset class itself. Mm-hmm. It could have been cars, it could have been shares, it could be anything else. If we'd all chosen to throw our monies at Beanie Babies or, or you know, footy cards, Pay you would have seen the same thing happen, right? We've yeah. got more money to spend on footy cards and no more footy cards being re- released. Yeah. Therefore, the price of footy cards goes up. Does it always go up every seven years? No, but it, it went up because we all had more money. We all cared more. We all put the money into the footy cards. That's what we wanted to do. There's nothing fundamental about the asset class in itself, which is your point. It's, it's mm. absolutely simply about the dynamics in the broader economy that allowed those things to be possible. And, and drove that meaningful change. I, whether It doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, it needs to be reversed in my view. It doesn't mean it needs to crash or go backwards. It just means that the, the growth that was you know, exhibited over the last 40 years is very clearly in my mind, to your, and I'm just reiterating your point, very clearly in my mind, just a, uh, you know, the, the net result of decisions made based on changing economic circumstances. Yep. Mean, mean reversion is a really powerful concept. And, yep. it, it, and so let's not... I don't know. I'm so critical of property. I'm, I do apologize for it. It's just, it's a point <laughs> no, in time. Don't. It's you a point in time that. critique. It's not a general, no uh, general yeah, exactly. critique. But to make it fairer, let's look and at I the share market. quickly to you actually, on behalf of you, it's a, it, your, your critique, as much as we talk about property broadly, your critique is almost always, I'm put words in your mouth, but almost always about the, you're critiquing the expectations of those who believe there's something inherent about the gains available from property. Yeah. Not property and asset class, not something to own, not necessarily something not to invest in, if, as long as you're aware of what the returns are likely to be. Just the idea of the past being somehow predictive because of some immutable law that seems to exist. It's it, take, take, yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. Take the word property out of it. So now it's asset yes, X, yeah, yeah, some magical yes. quantity, uh, magic. Uh, uh, footy cards. Uh, yeah. yeah, footy yeah. cards. You know, um, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't really matter what it is, but am I yes. going to buy a footy card for 50 times what I'm able to generate in income <laughs> off that a year <laughs> through a leverage nine to one, you know, 10 to one position? I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do yeah. it. Now it happens that that sort of scenario applies to property today <laughs> and there's the criticism, right? Mm-hmm. And too many times I speak to, to people and it just sort of seems this religious cult at this point. It's just like, mm-hmm. these things are said as fact when every little bit of evidence <laughs> from history and reason suggests that that is not true. And so what I was going to say mm. is it's the same. There'll be, there'll be t- in fact, there are regularly times on the share market where the same can be true, right? Yes. I mean, we were just uh, talking yeah, about, about retailers before, you know, wow, 30% growth from last year and this and that. And it's just like, yep. that's yep. great, but don't expect, don't mathematically don't expect that to happen every year because if you, if yep. you extrapolate that forward long enough, yeah. you know, it, it becomes <laughs> bigger right. than the GDP of planet Earth. Yeah. Like it just, it just well, cannot com boom, do it. Same thing, 1999. People exactly got stupidly excited about share, doc, uh, Well, even, I mean, even some of the frankly tech shares in the last 18, 24 months, yeah. they go up because they go up because they go up because they go up because they go up until yeah. they don't. You believe, you start to believe that the rationale might must be true. You try and... Here's the other thing, Matt, I think is... You, you, it doesn't mean you, you hate shares, by the way, when that happens, right? Big fan of right. shares, but that, that that's just... You, it's it's bringing those expectations back and understanding what yes. represents fundamental value versus what is just a speculation on this will always happen because, it, look, it happened yes. recently. And I think the, the other thing, when I think about the dot-com crash, then take it to... to or even the last 24 months in tech shares, and then take it to property and any other asset class is... The temptation for humans, you know I love my behavioral psychology, mm. the temptation for humans to convince themselves 
that there must be a pattern. The pattern must be observable. And once you've observed the template, therefore you must be able to, on an ongoing basis, assume that will always be true. Yep. So uh, the, the best example on the tech space is paying 20 times sales, right? Because everyone pays 20 times sales. Therefore, if you're coming to 15 times sales, it's actually cheap because yep. the rest of them are 20 times sales. Mm-hmm. And once you start to do stuff like that, and your point about property is the same thing. It's gone up, but you know, double every seven years for the last 45 years. Well, okay, that must be because that's just what it does because, you know, therefore I should expect this yield. Therefore, if the yield's less than that, it should be more coming because it must be, it must be, you know, it's going to catch up to that rate of growth at some point. So look how rich I'm going to be when it does is the same thing of saying I can pay 15 times sales or a P of 1,084 because everyone else is. So as long as it's relatively, you know, attractive, yep. therefore it must be attractive. Yep. It's, it's again, the emperor's no, not wearing any clothes problem of, actually it turns out 20 times sales was never reasonable for any company so comparing your very 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 overvalued business against some extremely overvalued business is just yeah it's it's an exercise in futility yeah the same is true if you look at for example and we think that's true of house price over the last 40 odd years you say well if you literally mathematically work it out work backwards and say here's how we got to this point what are the things that happened how do those things continue well they can't can they continue okay yeah well that's it so if they can't then the logical thing is Therefore, the rate of growth must be different in the future because there'll be different inputs. Yeah, there mm-hmm. will. Okay, now we're having a real conversation. Yep, that breach, hundred percent. Amen. That, that that is that is exactly it in a nutshell. And it comes back full circle to the idea of how do you fix this? You know, is it in interest rates? It plays a part, sure, but the, it's the other it's the other aspects of that. Not to be draconian, not to be command economy, mm. just to ensure stability. So it's it, this conversation. The reason we so unintentionally, it really is, listeners, unintentionally always come back to property is because you can't <laughs> have the conversation without that. Because yeah. we have, we have. It's not just the in isolation looking at it as an asset class and comparing it against fundamentals and what be reasonable, which is all true. It's all a very valid conversation. Yeah, but it's far, far more significant in the sense that. It impacts everything because mm. we, we are all tied to this asset class. So we are, where we have painted ourselves into a corner and where the Ponzi is so precarious now is that if, because we have put all of our wealth into it and borrowed mm. up to the eyeballs to do it, incredibly lucky that this massive growing economy demands you know, 34% of our exports are rocks that go to China, right? Like, thank you. That was really nice. That came along. What do we do with that? Let's all bid up property. And and it's mm. now systemically important. So when you start talking, as we have, about inflation and interest rate, you <laughs> land logically back on property. Now, it ha- it, at different periods of time, it was tulips. <laughs> you know, other periods yeah, of yeah, time, it yeah. was shares in the South Sea Company. You know, it, it yeah. just happens that it's property right now. And you find me a random person on the street, even if they don't own any property, it's like they're impacted by it because they're renting, right? Which means that they're impacted. They, it, it, whether you're talking about a retail, it comes back to property because the reason people aren't spending on retail is because they're servicing a higher mortgage or, or a higher rent. The reason that right. we're talking about any X, Y, Z, it just comes back to property because that's the structure of the system it's sort of like the thing that underpins so much of it and wealth is uh you know it's a subjective kind of term but it impacts our confidence it impacts our propensity to spend it impacts our capacity to spend and so and so it's it's just it's so much bigger a conversation than just the property and the yield and this and that and the rest of it which is 
which is why it's very hard to get away from. And, and I, just, I just make the point that without trying to make any predictions, because mm-hmm. um, who knows what can happen, because cans can always be kicked down the road and good things can right. always happen unexpectedly. But I really think we are walking through the tinder dry forest smoking cigarettes. You know, it just, it's, it's, it's not a guarantee outcome for a recipe for a disaster, but it's not exactly the safest thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although that we, may have, we, we should have done some backburning maybe along the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that metaphor though does suggest that I mean that, that's that's a pretty dire one. That that it is, is. that it is. is that is an inevitable inferno. Not inevitable, your, your, but just a risky well, scenario. But tinder dry fire smoking cigarettes. I, I I I'm only I'm only the only reason I raise it is because it's worth talking about how likely you think that range of scenarios are you know if if you if you walked far enough and long enough through a tinder fire smoking smoke cigarettes eventually you would start a bushfire it's almost inevitable yeah is that is that the approach is that is that the view you have of the situation or is it just one way of illustrating the sorts of risks we might be taking i think it's, it was very and so many people make this mistake they sort of observe again no forecast this is where we are very dry cigarettes burning brightly ashing all over the place that's just it's right, just right. sort of where we are so it's not a question of therefore this and therefore yeah. by this much and therefore by this date and so i'm not i'm not silly enough to, to do that but mm. i just think logically is like the as your to your point the longer i do that the the the, the greater my chances are of something happening so it, it's mm. not mm. a I, I I've always said investing is a probabilistic game and there's always a range of outcomes. You can't predict the future, but you can sort of make educated guesses at various scenarios. And I just get to the point now where we are, where it's sort of like, well, everything is fine. Uh, we avoid a recession. Interest rates don't go up too much more. I mean, all these big structural factors of, of you know, they've, they've, they've done whatever they, they're able to do. So mm. maybe we get three or four percent compound growth in property going forward. Okay, right, right, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. A scenario A. I know. Maybe, maybe I'm even. Maybe it's five percent. I, I doubt it. But maybe it's it's that over a long enough sort of time frame. Now let's contrast that with what could happen if 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 the cigarette does sort of touch a dry leaf or something like that. Mm. It could be 25 percent down. Needs to be kind of that if you want to afford, improve affordability to some extent. New Zealand's just gone down 20 percent, right? Mm. Um, go back go back not that long ago, and the U.S. and Ireland and Spain and Portugal and you know et cetera et cetera et cetera. It just these are these are scenarios that aren't inevitable and that's the mistake i think people make and i hope i don't make make that but i i just and so i'm not ringing i'm not crying chicken little it's all about to end i'm just saying mm. put the cigarette out you know <laughs> just can we can we maybe water water some of this land here a little bit you know there yeah. there is it is it is by definition a risky proposition and if all we do whenever we face this same conundrum is is do more of the same in the past, which has only made it worse. We're just mm. making the forest drier and the cigarette burn brighter. And and so it, it, it's. I know it's a subtle. Hopefully, it's a subtle point, but people get get the difference here. Yep. Not yep. this will happen, but it is yes. more likely to happen. And yes. and and given the ramifications, more broad for anything that's just well beyond prop, just the, the our prosperity as a, as a nation. It mm. just it concerns me. It does. <laughs> I think that's very, very fair, mate. I think it's very fair. Hey, um, we're probably out of time. Will you join me on Sunday for a mailbag? You know I will. I will hope there are no property or Bitcoin. I've got to say. All I'm saying. <laughs> no promises, but yeah. <laughs> Until next Sunday in two days' time. Full on. Cheers. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.